0: As the green grass is poking up, how do we manage our grazing with uncertainty of drought?
1: Limiting the duration of the grazing period to create a longer recovery period. That's what really helps, you know, range land, both in normal uh, rainfall conditions and in a drought situation. Jim
0: Garrish, grazing consultant and speaker with American Grazing Lands LLC is my guest to offer advice for grazing during this spring and summer with the uncertainty of drought. Plus, we'll also touch on grazing under a pivot on this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. here again with another episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. Thanks for joining us here on our program today. Glad to have you along for the ride today. This is episode 64 and it's a program that uh, I know a lot of folks across the country no matter where you're at probably weighing in on your mind a little bit. Is this drought going to persist or are we going to see it break? we are seeing nevertheless that it for some areas of the country it's not breaking as soon as we would like it to uh, there is some places that have seen some moisture we've talked with meteorologist don day about that and he's going to share more uh today at the last segment of our program today as he always does on our weather outlook but when we are in this time of the year and i know the green grass is sprouting up uh, it varies from the southern climates all the way up into the northern tier and up into canada i know you folks in the south are a little bit further ahead than i am here in northeastern Wyoming nevertheless the grass is starting to green up a little bit and what moisture is in the ground is getting that grass growing but is this drought gonna persist and with that in mind then comes the grazing and how do we manage in that if the drought does break how do we manage that today my guest is Jim Garish. he's a grazing expert consultant and speaker uh, he's with his own company called American grazing lands services LLC He's going to visit with us about this situation that we find ourselves in here in this odd time of the year, not only with the year, but in the fact that we've had drought uh, for a lot of folks for two years. And I know the Southern Plains part of the country has been real dry and dealing with fires in states like Texas and Oklahoma, Kansas and Colorado. And so I just know that this time of the year, how is this going to play out and how do I manage my grazing? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Also, of course, the captain, Tim O'Byrne, will be by in just a few moments for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. And meteorologist Don Day, as I was just saying just a moment ago, will join us in our very last segment. Not only are we going to talk about uh, the weather outlook for the first part of April, but also it's going to give us an update on on what La Nina is doing. And are we breaking out of that? We're going to talk about it that uh, in our last segment today with meteorologist Don Day. Right now, I do want to quick, uh, take a quick look to our bull sale calendar and remind you, we do have uh, a couple sales on our calendar. Don't forget also, another good spot to go and see everything that's going on for bull sales uh, is the Working Ranch Magazine. We have a complete list of all of the sales across the country. Take a look at that. But here is what I have on my calendar here for the Working Ranch Radio Show as uh, Jorgensen Land and Cattle with their 50th annual bull sale. That's coming up Monday, April 11th. That's going to be at 1 p.m. there at the ranch at Ideal South Dakota. They'll be selling about 175 head of registered Angus bulls. You can find out more, go to their website at jorgensenfarms.com. That sale will also be carried on DV Auction. Might also point out, if you're looking for uh, bulls to lease, might want to give them a call as well because that's another program that they offer. Also on our sale calendar, DLCC Ranch with their 30th annual production sale. That's going to be on Saturday, April 16th, there at the ranch at Pierres, Minnesota. Now, if you're looking for some South Devon or South Devon Influence composite bowls, this is the sale you're going to want to watch. They have over 90 head selling. The, if you'd like to find out more, go to their website at dlccranch.com and that will also be on Superior's Click to Bid. Right now, thanks to our sponsors of the Working Ranch Radio Show, the American Simmental Association. And, boy, we are right in the middle of bull-buying season. And whether you're looking at maternal traits or terminal traits, the genetic merit of Simmental genetics has provided increased profitability to the rancher. Genetics profit through science. Find out more at Simmental.org. Bobcat, one tough tractor. Visit Bobcat.com to find out more. The American Hereford Association. Come home to Hereford and the North American Limousine Foundation. Limousine cattle deliver to your bottom line. And like I said before, this is bull buying season, and the American Angus Association reminds you, if you're looking for registered Angus bulls, look for that register, registration number. Buy the power and buy registered Angus bulls. Well, it's time now to check in with the captain, publisher, and editor of Working Ranch Magazine for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents.
2: Hey Justin, hey everybody out there in Working Ranch Radio Land. A few days back, I took a couple hours in the afternoon and recertified myself in the Beef Quality Assurance Feed Yard module. I gotta tell you, it's been now like four years since I've done it, and it's a quite a bit different program today than it was four years ago. It's much more refined, much more interesting. I learned a lot, trust me. Uh, it takes you right from one end of the spectrum to the other even just in the feed yard manual so it's really good i encourage every single one of you listeners to go on bqa.org and hook up with the cow calf module for sure the feed yard module for sure and the transportation one wouldn't hurt you either go on check it out uh and justin Last week's program, you we talked about blockchaining, and I want folks to go back. Maybe you can elaborate a little bit. I want you to go back, folks, and listen to that one. The take-home message there was blockchaining allows the transaction to be completed immediately. In other words, you, you do not relinquish control of your thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of live animals to somebody and then hoping a check is going to show up in two or three days. That just That doesn't happen. All right. With blockchain, Justin, run it by him again. And I know this is going to be a great show. Stick around.
0: You bet. Thanks, Captain. And uh, absolutely. You know, last week's show was on blockchain technology. Uh, Steve Lupine, out of the University of Wyoming, was my guest. And uh, I'll tell you, I I don't know if I can do it justice to just sit here and try to explain it in a few short seconds about what show what uh, how that works. But I would invite you to go and listen to last week's episode, episode sixty three. And uh, there's an example in there that I think really kind of drove it home about how trading baseball cards. That I think if you hear that and you'll understand kind of how that works and i'll just probably leave it there with that because uh, that's quite a show uh, of a lot of good information about blockchain technology we'll stay with us coming up next jim garish will be joining us we're going to be talking about grazing during this time of the year when we return on the working ranch radio show Starting off in the right direction is essential to gaining an advantage later when you go to market your calves. And I have proof that the right direction is with Sim Angus sired calves. A 2020 study by K-State showed that Sim Angus sired steer calves earn more at sale time than all other breed identified sired groups with at least 50 lots represented on Superior Livestock's 2020 summer sales. The proof's right there. For low risk, high potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. Your answer to a hassle free breeding season is as easy as one call to Jorgensen Land and Cattle of Ideal, South Dakota. This year, Jorgensen celebrates their 50th anniversary bull sale on Monday, April 11th at the ranch. They'll be selling 175 head of registered Angus bulls. Out of the great sires like El Dorado, Rito, Traveler, Emulations, and the largest offering of emulous line bulls. Don't forget Jorgensen's also offer a hassle-free bull leasing program that features excellent genetics while minimizing your risk. It's the 50th anniversary bull sale for Jorgensen Land & Cattle, Monday, April 11th at 1pm at the ranch in Ideal, South Dakota. For information or sale catalog, go to JorgensenFarms.com. The sale will also be available on DV Auction. Jorgensen Land and Cattle, helping cattlemen build better cow herds for over 60 years. And we welcome you back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. You know, before the break, uh, the captain was talking about last week's episode on blockchain technology. That was episode 63. You know, I might point out that we have really had some great shows, some great guests here to start out 2022 and to kick things off. And if you want to go back and listen to some of those shows, you can go to any podcast provider out there. Or just search in your web browser under Working Ranch Radio Show. And we're going to show up there. You know, last uh, the episode before that, that one was Why Own Cows? And that's kind of a play on words, but I would encourage you to go and listen to that one. We also did a show on marketing your cattle in 2022, a weather outlook for 2022, and then one on have you thought about running sheep? Those are just a few of the topics that we've already covered. Go back and take a listen to those if you got a chance. Well, let's get on to our show here today as Jim Garrish with American Grazing Lands is joining us. He is a grazing expert, consultant, and speaker with American Grazing Lands services and bringing him in to talk about this odd time of the year as the grass is starting to green up a little bit and how do we manage our grazing in light of drought is it going to persist and so forth and as we come out of that as well so jim i want to thank you for joining us i believe this is the first time i've had you on our show so uh, welcome to the working ranch radio show
1: well i appreciate the opportunity to visit with your audience justin
0: you know a lot of folks probably some folks are familiar with you with what you've been doing and so i guess when i looked at this this topic that i wanted to explore of a lot of guys are in have been in a two-year drought and there's no necessarily certainty that we're going to be coming out of it this year but as we prepare for spring and into summer What what are some of the things from from your perspective that we need to be working with um, and and thinking about as we move out of this time frame and into the spring of the year?
1: Okay, there's, um, you know, three things that, you know, really come to mind for me when we're uh, dealing with a drought situation, especially a prolonged drought situation like this. The first one is simply animal numbers. When we have a drought, obviously, we don't have near as much feed, and so uh, destocking is something that pretty well every ranch needs to be doing or have already done in face of a drought, because if you're short on grass and you try to keep too many cattle, you just further you know, aggravate uh, what's going on with your uh, pasture range and the soils underneath them. So... Proper stocking rate for the condition is fundamental. Ongoing monitoring of your feed supply—you know, it's—it's uh, it's easy to count bales in the stack yard. Uh, once you've uh, acquired the skill, it's actually about as easy to assess how much feed you have in the pasture. And if everything, you know, we're, we're coming, getting close to the green up season now. And if everything was grazed off last fall and over the winter and there's no residual forage out there, you absolutely have to avoid, you know, the temptation to get out there as soon as you see some green because it's going to need some recovery time. And then the third factor is, you know, just simply uh, reading that rain gauge, monitoring how much moisture you are getting. And, you know, kind of guideline, I work with people is if your pastures are in a healthy productive state um, the reduction in rainfall like if you're getting 30 percent less rain than a normal year uh, you're going to have 30 percent less forage available than in a normal year if on the other hand the pastures have already been severely grazed and you know abused then the reduction forage in the current year, it's going to be about double what the reduction in moisture is. So if you have that that 30% reduction in rainfall, it's going to translate to about a 60% reduction mm-hmm. in you know feed supply. There's people who have been two years in a drought, and if they've already pushed their uh, pasture range to the limit, it's going to be really reduced this year.
0: Mm-hmm. You talked about the folks that's been in a two year drought. So as we come out of that and and let's let's just say on average that we're just going to get maybe our average rainfall and and let's not try to talk about maybe percentages above or or below, but we're just going to be looking or anticipating around an average rainfall recovery phase. Is it going to take one to two years to get fully back? I mean, what, how would you recover out of that from a time frame on just if you figured you were to get your average rainfall for the next one to two years?
1: Okay. Uh, th- that That's an interesting question uh, for your audience because I, I have to presume that you've got listeners across a pretty wide mm-hmm. geographic area. Mm-hmm. So um, for, for the people who don't know, you know, I've lived and worked in – missouri for 23 years where our natural precipitation average was between 38 and 40 inches Mm -hmm. and if if we had had uh if 2021 had been a drought year for us but we were getting normal precipitation you know at this time of year in march and rolling into april um you just about wouldn't see any uh, Linger in effect of that drought because that kind of environment it's very forgiving. Mm-hmm. Where we live in Idaho now, our historic average precipitation is a little under eight inches. Oh man! And you're in in an environment like that. If we and we are two years of solid drought mm-hmm. uh, behind us and no indication that we're going to get any break this year. We're below normal snowfall um, right now. And it's going to be, at a minimum, a full year at normal precipitation to have rangeland in this kind of environment um, recover. And it's going to be a year if, in the last two years, we did not overuse that rangeland. If, that, if the range has been overused for a couple of years, um, then, yeah, it could be two or even three years before the plant community really recovers there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if we don't have normal precipitation, uh, I see very little recovery uh, going to happen this year.
0: Mm-hmm a bit ago you were talking about when grass starts to green up there is that temptation to put cows out or or go ahead and just kind of get back on that and after we have been in a one to two year drought situation uh, you cautioned a little bit about that but I want to explore a little bit because at some point you know those cows are going to wherever they're at they're going to want to go to green grass i mean that just they like that they want to do that so how do we yep. manage this time of the year for myself my pastures are we're, we're two years done i don't have any stockpile left really and so um so they're going to go to this green grass how do we prevent any continual damage
1: okay um the criteria you know that uh, a lot of range management people look at as when is this uh, grass ready to be grazed is uh, beyond three-leaf stage. So this is part of monitoring um, your feed supply is actually evaluating uh, uh, what the growth stage of the grass is. And So when we say three-leaf stage, that means three fully extended leaves per tiller of grass. And a fully extended leaf is um, when the collar forms. You know, the, a leaf actually has three components. Mm-hmm. There's the blade where uh, you know, all the photosynthetic activity is taking place. There's the sheath, which is um, where the the leaf is wrapped around the stem. Uh, and where those two come together is the collar. It's that little hinge-like mm-hmm. area there. And once the collar forms, that leaf is fully extended. Uh, So it is, that leaf is not going to grow anymore beyond that. Mm -hmm. And from a uh, carbohydrate balance in the plant, whether the, uh, when we have fewer than three leaves, the uh, grass plant may still be drawing more energy from storage than it's getting from active photosynthesis. And when we get past three leaves, then there's enough energy being generated on a daily basis from photosynthesis to support both additional growth of that plant and put carbohydrates in reserve. Uh, you know, p- people talk about root storage, mm-hmm. but in grasses, it's not really uh, so much root storage as stem basis, the lowest part of the plant above ground. That's where a lot of energy is stored, particularly in bunch grasses. Uh, so, the key that we would be looking at to say, okay, the cows can go out now would be a minimum of three leaf stage. Ideally, you know, if we could wait until four or five leaves were out there, that's what recovery is actually about. That's what it's going to take to get, um, you know, the range back into pastures back into good health. And if you're in, uh, you know, a managed Uh, grazing system and have multiple pastures that you go through, you would be, uh, you you will have evaluated the pasture right now uh, and as it's greening up and the places that look the hardest hit from the previous years of drought, we want to delay going to those pastures as long as we can so they Mm -hmm. have the opportunity to get out to four or five leaves. And we'll look for, you know, the two, three pastures that have uh, the best residual. Look like they're going to take off, and you know, be better than your other uh, pastures. Those are the ones that we would graze first. Mm-hmm.
0: Jim Garrish is my guest today with American Grazing Lands. We're talking about grazing in this time of the year where we, the grass is starting to green up and there's uncertainty as far as whether this drought will uh, persist and also the fact that we have been in a drought and how do we manage our grazing uh, with that in mind. When we come back, Jim, the question I want to talk about, uh, the topic is this time of the year I've heard folks refer to it as free grass time of the year, free grazing, and I want to explain explore that subject a little bit more when we return on the working ranch radio show. Today's profit-minded rancher is all about a balanced operation and when it comes to buying bulls, you look for balanced genetics that utilize the advantages of heterosis. For decades, DLCC Ranch has focused on utilizing the strengths of one of the most feed-efficient breeds in the world, South Devon. This British breed simply provides a proven outcross for a commercial or pure red herd that exploits the benefits of heterosis in both terminal and maternal traits like growth, carcass, and stability. This year, DLCC will be offering over 90 head of South Devon and South devon influence composite bulls at their sale on Saturday, April 16th. All bulls will be genomically tested, and they come with a three-year guarantee. They will also be offering over 50 head of females, ranging from elite heifers to replacement heifers and fall pairs. For more information or to request a catalog, go to dlccranch.com. It's the DLCC 30th Annual Production Sale, Saturday, April 16th at the ranch near Pierre's, Minnesota. Or on Superiors, click to bid. DLCC, committed to providing South Devon crossbreeding solutions and outcross genetics to commercial cattlemen.
3: At the American Akaushi Association, we're more than prime. The American Akaushi Association was created to help ranchers be more profitable and find opportunities when using Akaushi genetics in their herd. We focus on market opportunities for our members and offer support from conception to consumer. When you choose Akaushi, you have a network right there with you. Experience the difference at Akaushi.com. That's A-K-A-U-S-H-I.com.
0: Welcome back here again to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. My guest today, Jim Garrish, grazing expert and speaker with American Grazing Lands out of May, Idaho. Jim, I don't think I mentioned that earlier that that was where you reside or work out of, but I know, uh, I'm sure folks kind of got that gist when you talked about the fact that uh, you're grazing uh, some of the things that you do in Idaho. Nevertheless, uh, folks, if you're just joining us, we have been talking about how to manage our grazing in this time of the year with spring and preparing for summer in addition to the fact we've been in drought is the drought going to persist but that's what we have been talking about and jim i want to kind of keep in the concept of how do we manage grazing for the spring of the year but with that in mind i've also heard it referred to as the free grass period or the free grazing period and i wanted to ask your opinion on that topic and is is that a myth is that just something folks like to believe in or is there some legitimacy to that statement
1: Uh, I think this really depends on, again, looking at this geographic situation. Um, If in the higher moisture areas, uh, you can, you know, put the cattle out uh, with no control of grazing and, you know, pretty well let them go anywhere they want, and then when the uh, uh, grasses go into the elongation phase. That's when, uh, you know, when the seed heads are uh, before they emerge, but, you know, the stems beginning to elevate. Mm-hmm. That's when you bring them back under uh, control, go to higher stock density, concentration, and the, st- the strategy for doing, or the reason for doing that. Uh, what you're trying to do is actually get the seed heads bitten out. Mm-hmm. And I say, you know, in a productive environment, it, 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 again, going back to Missouri, you know, we, we grazed four, five, six times there, and everyone was on a, a new flush of grass coming. In the drier environment, you know, there's a lot of emphasis about not biting the growing point off um, and. Uh, This is a little backwards from the way a lot of people think. Mm -hmm. Um, I think controlled grazing on rangeland probably has more value for the health and vigor of the range than what it does even in a productive environment. And the reason for that is we have such a small window of time to actually grow our grass um, on rangeland that managing it from the very outset, limiting the duration of the grazing period to create a longer recovery period, that's what really helps, you know, rangeland, both in normal uh, rainfall conditions and in a drought situation. You know, and I talk about, I say rangeland, but we also have uh, (laughs) rangeland extending from You know southern New Mexico Arizona up to you know northern Montana Mm -hmm. uh, the Canadian border and so the there is a great difference in the length of the growing season you know based just on you know temperature but whether we're at the Canadian border or the Mexican border the rainfall season is limited in both of those environments and you might have days warm enough to continue growing grass, you know, in August, September, uh even into October. But if the moisture is all come in April, May and June, Mm -hmm. um you're you're gonna grow eighty plus percent of your forage in April, May and June. And so it's a matter of allowing as much to grow as possible and then rationing it out through the remainder of your grazing season. And, you know, for some outfits, that remainder of the grazing season is the other nine months of the year. It is, you know, July to March of uh, outside of the realty productive uh, growing season. Mm -hmm. And so when you have a growing season that is that limited, that short – um, you want to capitalize on growing good grass on as many acres as you can.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to talk about rainfall now because uh, it, it, this, as you said, you know, this is going to go out to a lot of different folks all across the country. We're, we're dealing with everything from, I think, your range that you've talked about, the, what you're dealing with in Idaho for amount of rainfall to what, you're, what you grew up with or was around in Missouri. I mean, that's a pretty good – that's very different. And so let's talk about as you meet with folks and you sit down with guys on a consultation basis and you look at rainfall – Uh, What's the what's the conversations that you have about rainfall and and looking at it from their particular area?
1: Okay, Um, a a big thing uh, about rainfall is if it falls on your land and it all runs off, it's not very valuable. So it's really about uh, vegetation management, uh, you know, keeping a good cover of residual out there after grazing we talk about litter on the soil surface to keep the soil cooler allow water to infiltrate very often um, in the productive the high rainfall environments I say our number one priority with uh, grazing management is capturing as much solar energy as possible I think the number one priority of grazing management on rangeland is capturing as much water as possible. So, in a rangeland environment, we are really focused on um, post grazing residual and building litter to try to keep more water on the landscape and allowing it to infiltrate into mm-hmm. the soil. Um, so, th- th- those are You know, really key things that uh, we try to teach ranchers about is how do you maximize the capture and retention of water on your land?
0: What's the levels or the benchmarks amounts that I know, you know, under a certain, was it under 12 inches of rain or 11 inches? It would be considered a desert. Uh, And what are those amounts as we work through that from low to high and then how that affects your ability uh, for example, in range areas where we're out here in, in lower in lower rainfall areas, you're going to be, you'll get maybe the one graze. If you have a great year, you might get the opportunity on some good pastures to go back twice. But let's talk about those benchmarks, those levels and rainfall and how that correlates to rainfall amounts and how many grazing periods that enacts.
1: Okay. Um, so I kind of use about 25 inches as the break point between calling something a wet, productive environment, and calling it uh, Mm -hmm. rangeland. Now, the further north you go, the lower that number actually is. Further south you go, uh, it might be even higher than 25, but I kind of use 25 inches. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you live in an environment with less than 25 inches – we generally recommend one grazing event per 10 inches of precipitation. So if you're living at a 10 inch rainfall environment, we would expect pretty well your, the entire ranch is going to be once a year grazing. If you're at a six to eight inch rainfall environment, we would recommend um, you know, 20 to 40% of your acres get a full year uh beyond the recovery that happens in the current grazing season Mm
0: -hmm.
1: we're going to recommend that the following grazing season growing season i should say 20 to 40 percent of the acres don't get grazed at all um that is to you know try to keep some health and vigor in the range and also it does give you a buffer so uh if, if you uh, defer use on some acres for that year for you know for a full uh, following season, in the third season we might be talking about, um, you've got some buffer there. If that is going to be a dry year, you have grown some additional feet. Now if we go the other direction on precipitation and let's say, you get 15 inches of precipitation, well, that would be one and a half grazing. So what does that mean is we will probably graze uh, or everything will get grazed once Mm -hmm. and then 50% of the acres will get a second grazing. And very often that second grazing is a dormant season grazing, but it might possibly be pastures that you grazed lightly at the beginning of the season, you know, just as Mm -hmm. green up was happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, Towards the tail end of the season, you might come back and, you know, graze those a second time. And then we just work up from there to at 25 inches. That would be two and a half grazings. Now, beyond 25 inches, we drop the guideline to one grazing event per seven inches of rainfall. Mm -hmm. And the further north we go, it'll drop down to five because a inch of water will grow more grass at a northern latitude than it will at a southern latitude. And that's because of, during the growing season, the very long day lengths mm-hmm. we have up north. And then also, because the temperatures in general are lower, there's less evaporative loss of water. You know, uh, a 15-inch rainfall... In southwest Texas, might still only support one grazing a year. A 15 inch rainfall environment in Alberta might be three grazing cycles a year.
0: Yeah interesting we'll stay with us we're going to continue with our guest today jim garish with american grazing lands out of may idaho has been our guest today we've been talking about uh, grazing this time of the year with the uncertainty of drought and also just in general spring time of the year as well when we come back though we're going to pick his brain on another topic that he has quite a bit of experience in and that is grazing under a pivot we're going to talk about it when we return with my guest today jim garish with american grazing lands on the working ranch radio show.
2: If you could do something today that would bring you a profit tomorrow, would you do it? In the cattle business, it's about efficiency. And with Limousine Genetics in your herd, your profit is just one calf crop away. With Limousine or Limflex cattle, it's more pounds, naturally, to sell at weaning. It's growth and feed efficiency with the added benefit of carcass merit. The other side of the profit coin with Limousine Genetics is the maternal efficiency, docility, and longevity of your cows and bulls it's as simple as limousine today profit tomorrow Sale season's
3: here again and there are a lot of black headed angus bulls on the market but not all of them are registered why take the risk don't gamble on unproven genetics invest wisely with registered powered by angus bulls backed by the power of the american angus association and 80 million data points registered angus bulls give you the confidence in your buying decisions don't buy an imposter Look for the registration number by the power by Registered Angus Bulls.
0: We welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills, and I hate to sound kind of repetitive here, but I know that so much of our, so many of our shows have a lot of information kind of packed into this time slot, and so uh, want to remind you that if you search under your web browser under Working Ranch Radio Show or any podcast provider out there as well, you will find us, and you can go back and you can listen to these shows as well. You can share them, however you, whatever you want to do with them, and I just want to th- put. This that out there one more time i want to get back to our guest today jim garish with american grazing land services out of may idaho he's a grazing expert uh, consultant and speaker and jim i want to talk about another thing that you have been doing for quite a few years that has intrigued me and that is grazing under a pivot so i want you to explain your operation kind of how that works okay
1: um first i'll describe how our grazing cell is set up um on each pivot we only have three permanent fences but we do a daily rotation and the cattle are moved to fresh piece of the pie uh every day and so what we have there's a and our permanent fences are two wire electrified high tensile so there's a permanent fence around the outside perimeter of the pivot and then we have a second circular fence near circular fence that's halfway between the pivot center and the outer reach okay and then our water troughs or stock water points are on that inner circle fence okay yep all right um you know the most people if they they've been haying you know pivots for years Mm -hmm. and they say you know i'm going to switch to grazing their first thought is to just put a Water tank at the pivot center because you already yeah. have water there. Yeah, and then run pie pieces from the center to the outside of the uh, the outside perimeter. When you do that, uh, it really hammers the the ground towards the pivot center. And I'm not talking about you know just ten yards out from the pivot center where that tank is. I'm talking for the hundred yards out from the pivot center i mean if it's a standard you know quarter section pivot Mm -hmm. we've got 1320 feet distance there and they hammer you know close to water and they don't graze near severely out there you know a quarter mile now a lot of rangeland you know cowboys think that you know cows will graze you know a couple miles out from a water tank without a problem and then you go out there, and you actually look at it and measure, and uh, beyond a half a mile, you start seeing less and less use in it. Two miles from the tank, it's way less. And so they think, a quarter mile on a pivot? Of course they'll walk that far. How can they not graze that uniformly? But they don't. And so by putting that inner circle fence out there, we cut the travel distance to water in half, and it gives much more uniformity of grazing Now I said we had three permanent fences, and I've only described two. We also have a single wire fence that connects the inner and outer circle, and that's just an electrical conduit, you know, uh, so that one energizer, you know, can run everything. You can take a polywire reel, hook it on, either, you know, either run it from the uh, outside fence towards the inside or vice versa because we have power out there it doesn't you don't have to be thinking about where you hook your reel to you Mm. don't have power and then go to a dead fence with the the reel itself yeah our our soils we are gravelly loam on top of river cobble so uh we have real well-drained soils there and we actually water over the top of the cattle if they're on the inside circle at a real high stock density you know, I might turn the pivot off and run it over them dry, then turn it back on. But on the any paddock on the outside circle, we just uh, water over the ta- top of the cattle. Hmm. If if on the other hand you're on a clay loam soil or a silty clay, if it's got the word clay in the soil texture description, mm-hmm. you do not want to water <laughs> over the top of your cattle. Uh. If it has sand in the name. Yes, you probably can, but you know, try it and mm-hmm. you know see what the impact is. And if you don't like the impact you're seeing, then you know you don't want to water over the top of them. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's uh, on on any type of clay soil, um, you don't want to water over the top of them. And ideally, you're actually going to be uh, drying out a day ahead of the move that you're making sure and you know that that's the really only tricky part of grazing under pivots is knowing your soil drainage and uh, you know uh, we've our biggest pivot is 300 acres and that is not the same soil type <laughs> all the way across yeah. there yeah and and so there are some areas we got to be a little more you know attentive to uh especially on the inside circle, uh, making sure that we've turned the water off as we're going over, whereas the majority of it, though, um, we just run right over the top of the cattle. Mm-hmm.
0: Next question on that, and we don't have a lot of time here, but what are you planting in there? What's the forage under those pivots?
1: Uh, ours is all perennial, um, mixed grass and legume. I mean, there's um, <clears throat> the last time any seeding was done, of actually you know seeding grass was 2004 um, we in 2006 we overseeded red white and alcyc clover okay. across all of that um, I'm not a big fan of alfalfa dominant as a dominant legume for grazing I much prefer clovers and birds that tree fall mm-hmm and that's, you know, another whole long conversation <laughs> about why that is. Yeah. But in 06, we overseeded that clover. And to maintain those stands, uh, I try to each year allow one-third of the pivot area to have at least a 60 to 65-day recovery period uh, on, on average where – about 40 day average recovery on these, uh, by allowing 60, 65, 70 days, we get natural reseeding of that, Mm -hmm. the clover component. And so we've got real strong, uh, uh, clover content in these pastures. That's where our nitrogen comes from. Uh, we basically don't use any commercial fertilizer Mm -hmm. on these and, we rely on the legumes to fix nitrogen, and then the high stock density grazing gives us real uniform uh, dung and urine distribution to recycle the nitrogen through the animals. And like I said, 2006, so that's 16 years ago. Uh, we've had, you know, clover persisting 16 years out there without reseeding
0: yeah what's your rate that you're grazing what's uh, cows the acre are you doing pounds the acre what what are your grazing rates
1: okay um we in the spring at as it's greening up we will be giving them a larger area and we might be running stock density of 30 to 40,000 pounds of live weight per acre so if, if your cow's Weigh 1,300 pounds, that'd be 30 to 35 cows to the acre. Uh, when, after we've made the first cycle around everything, uh, we'll be giving them smaller areas and the density will go up. And most of, once we get you know into full swing in the growing season, we're usually running uh, 70 to 100,000 pound stock density so you know that that's 50 to 70 cows to the acre on a daily move basis
0: Mm -hmm. okay well jim i want to thank you for joining us we kind of have to stop in the middle of this i know folks are going to think like wow we need to go we need to have you back to talk a little bit about more about the pivot grazing because i think that's something that you know there's going to be more questions about it and i know folks listening probably have a lot more questions about it but i do appreciate you joining us here on our program today
1: it's been my pleasure. And uh, again, thank you for the opportunity.
0: And again, my guest today has been Jim Garrish with American Grazing Lands. By the way, if you'd like to find out more information about him or to get a hold of him, you can go to his website at americangrazinglands.com. Now, something to note, when you get there, you're going to find out it's more than just getting a hold of him. The American Grazing Lands is also a great resource for purchasing and buying electric fence material or, or watering uh, fitting and various things of that nature that go kind of hand in hand with intensive grazing uh, systems that are out there. So they also, if you have questions, they're a good resource to use as well. So americangrazinglands.com is a website to go to. You can find out more information by visiting that website. Well, stay with us when we come back. Meteorologist Don Day joins us with a look at our long-term weather and an update on La Nina. We'll be back when we return on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Living in the country means working in the country, and that calls for a tough tractor. Well, Bobcat has 15 models in its compact tractor lineup from 21 to 58 horsepower. With the help of your local Bobcat dealer, you'll find a perfect match for your property and to-do list. Get a look at all the different models at Bobcat.com, and while you're there, use the build and quote tool to design your ideal machine. Get yourself one tough tractor from one tough animal. Bobcat. Visit bobcat.com.
2: Whoa, Herefords are the efficiency experts for a reason. In crossbreeding systems, Herefords boost pregnancy rates by 7% and add $30 per head in feed yard profitability. And Hereford genetics bring unrivaled hybrid vigor, longevity, and disposition. Now that'll stop you in your tracks. Come home to Hereford for more pounds, more calves, and more profit. Visit Herford.org for a sale near you.
0: And we welcome you back to the Working Ranch Radio show. As we turn now towards a look at our long-term weather, and this time of the year, I know a lot of folks across the country. There's we've we've been in a couple years of drought situations. We're seeing fires down in the, in Texas and Oklahoma, and even now I see some down in Colorado. And I where everybody just kind of wondering, are we going to get this moisture? But uh, Don, you're talking about April as we're heading into the month of April, looking to be a little bit messy, and the fact that there is going to be some moisture moving across and you're seeing that it's just we really can't having a hard time predicting it much past about three days.
3: Yeah, we're in that time of year where the fidelity and forecasting out more than five or six days is really, really tricky. This time of year, you just get more storms embedded in the jet stream and the more systems that are in the uh, system, so to speak, uh, the harder it gets to forecast because the more storm systems that are moving along there's more for the models to try to keep track of and a lot of times uh we get into timing problems where something that looks like will come let's say on a saturday ends up coming on a monday and then that messes up the forecast for the next wednesday so we're kind of in that time of year it's typical it's not to be unexpected Mm -hmm. but we're in a situation where the the drought hole is so deep uh, and so uh, widespread that uh, we just need to keep these systems coming and we need to, to do this for the next 10 to 12 weeks uh, to really help out everybody
0: mm-hmm. I want to get into talking a little bit about La Nina because we know we know the the weather systems as you talked about is going to bring some weather there's some uncertainty just where it's at but as as that reflects back to La Nina and and coming out of that you've been watching that and the in the temperatures in that Pacific area It's looking like, in in, in following in your forecast, it's looking like we're coming out of that La Nina, but it's going to be slow.
3: Yeah, it is moving at a very slow, slug-like speed. One thing that uh, we're seeing is a very persistent area of cooler than average sea surface temperatures along the equator uh, from South America, stretching out all the way to northeast of Australia. And it's just been very stubborn. Uh, There was a moment uh, in February and early March to where it started to break down only to kind of pick up again. And from all of our tools that we use to try to make a prediction on what those sea surface temperatures are doing, we continue to see a slow erosion of La Nina happening this summer. But you know, it's really about timing. Um, So it's hanging on a little bit longer than expected. And if it continues to go through the rest of the spring, which we think it will that does not bode well for a widespread wet spring for everybody that needs a widespread wet spring. What it means is the impacts of La Nina, which for many areas of the west and the central is, it's a signal for below normal precipitation. Now, not for everybody, but the tendencies are there. And uh, one thing we did take a look at is over the last 30 years, when we have these two-year La Ninas, which tend to happen around every 10 or 11 years. Historically, they are slow to to move out. And uh, the only uh, one that we saw that was strong was in 1996 and 1997. That went to a very strong El Nino very quickly. But over the last 30 years, these longer-lasting La Ninas tend to slowly fade before we go into what's called a neutral status, which is what we expect this summer, which means sometime by mid to late summer, those sea surface temperatures even out a little bit. And what this means is, if we're gonna get into a wetter pattern for the Western United States, that's gonna be a little more consistent, a little more reliable, we've gotta get out of this La Nina, go to neutral, and then hopefully in 2023, find ourselves in somewhere near an El Nino phase. and We expect that to happen. Problem is, is, is that, This La Nina is hanging on long enough that I do think it's going to cut back on some of the spring precipitation for some parts of the western United States. On the other side of the country, this pattern tends to bring above normal precipitation to the south central and southeastern United States and that's exactly what's happening. There's some areas uh, in the United States that are getting too much rain and some areas that aren't getting enough. If it would be easy to spread it out and make it even for everybody, we certainly could, but we can't.
0: Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Don, thanks for joining us here on a program, giving us kind of an outlook here and especially an update on La Nina. Appreciate that thanks for having meteorologist don day with a look at our long-term weather for our program today and uh, if you're not a regular listener to our program just want to remind you that he does provide us that long-term forecast for every show here on the working ranch radio show we'll stay with us when we come back we're going to put a wrap on this week's program and i'll tell you what's in store for the next episode of the working ranch radio show we'll be back after this Well, we packed a lot into this week's edition of the Working Ranch Radio Show, and I appreciate you joining us for the ride. This has been a production of Working Ranch Magazine, and if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can send me an email at, justin.workingranch at gmail.com. Next week, horseman and stockman Martin Black out of Bruno, Idaho, will be my guest. Be sure to join us right here, same time, same place. I'm Justin Mills, and until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.